Good morning, friends at uh, Redeemer Chelton. Seems quite a while since a number of us spent the weekend together in Dumfries in uh, Scotland. A, a, a weekend that I remember with affection. And discovered subsequent to that weekend that it was one of John Wesley's favourite towns in Scotland. But uh, that's another matter. Um, Greg asked me to speak to you this morning on Psalm 7. And uh, I'm glad to do so. Um, there's such a thing, I think, as a friendly rivalry between communities and uh, sometimes towns, sometimes whole countries. That Pauline and I were married in 1967 and uh, we took our honeymoon on a little island in the Channel Islands called Guernsey. We became aware that the, um, the community of Guernsey um, has a friendly rivalry with the, the people of Jersey, which is an island uh, not very far away. It's pretty, well, good-humoured, I think, most of the time. Of course, um, you, you won't need me to tell you that there's a rivalry between Yorkshire and Lancashire. And uh, it's not uncommon for um, people from Yorkshire to be passionate about um, the value and the... the um, the excellence of their county. I have a friend called Ben Carswell, a Christian worker who lives in, in near Christchurch in New Zealand. He's, I don't know, what is 12, 11, 12,000 miles away, but he engages with me in friendly banter about the um, how superior Yorkshire is above Lancashire, and uh, especially when it's the Olympic Games and a few Yorkshiremen win gold medals, and he's glad to point out that if if Yorkshire were a country, then they'd come third in the middle table or something like that. I can't remember the details. I think it's pretty friendly most of the time. If you look at the heading of Psalm 7, it says a, a shigayon, whatever that means, uh, some kind of musical expression, I think, a shigayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Uh, David uh, composed this song in response to the words um, and behaviour of a man called Cush, who was from the tribe of Benjamin. And the rivalry between the, the tribe of Judah, which was David's tribe, and the, the tribe of Benjamin was not so friendly. Um, there was a... Well, you may remember that the first king of Israel was King Saul. He was a Benjamite. And uh, things didn't go very well. In that, um, in his rule, he was replaced eventually by, by David. It was an unhappy period. The the reign of Saul was an unhappy period, and David became king in a very spectacular way and with, with great military and economic success and so on. So there was some unpleasant rivalry, and Cush came from that uh, from that tribe. There was a time in David's history when. Um, his own son Absalom rebelled against him and he, he had to flee from Jerusalem. He was heading up the Mount of Olives and he went up the Mount of Olives weeping as he went because his son was um, in full hostile rebellion against him. He got to a place uh, up the past the Mount of Olives and out came a man who was cursing him as he went along and throwing stones at him. And uh, his name was Shimei. He was a, a Benjamite from the tribe of Benjamin. So it wasn't so good. It wasn't such a a good rivalry. And uh, 
this is things coming out of this psalm appears that David has been deeply hurt and wounded by the words and the behaviour of this man called Cush. Um, we don't know much more than that, but um, that's the response. And there are some good lessons in this psalm for those of us who from time to time, if not all of us from time to time, feel wounded and hurt, crushed um, and uh, despondent because of the way we've been treated by other people. Anyway, as usual, I'm going to draw three things from this psalm. The first one is, I need a refuge, verses 1 and 2. Lord my God, I seek refuge in you. Save me from all my pursuers and rescue me, or they will tear me like a lion, ripping me apart with no one to rescue me. Well, there are times in life when someone has the power to hurt you with their behaviour. And their words uh, are as sharp as lion's claws. They tear me like a lion. And it affects your internal world, your soul, ripping me apart with no one to rescue me. And uh, it's, so, it's as though they've been hunting you. It's not just a one-off experience. Uh, this is one of those times when someone has pursued you. It seems as if they... They wait for an opportunity to wound you. It's more like a campaign than an incident. I've been trying to encourage a friend of mine in the north of England who has had a campaign waged against him. It's over money and family relationships. The elders of the church have been involved. One occasion, um, social workers are involved. And uh, it's it's gone on for months and weeks, weeks and months, and uh, it's been extremely painful. It's uh, and it's been characterised to some degree by a campaign of disinformation, which he's found tremendously hard. And that there are these times when you really don't know where to turn. David says, "There is none to deliver, um, with no one to rescue me." Verse two. You might be going into work each morning um, to face a line manager who's a bully, who's made it uh, her mission in life to make you look small and to make you feel humiliated. And uh, there's no one you can turn to. There's none to deliver. I remember as a teenage bank clerk working in the bank, the bank in Piccadilly, it was the National Bank then, it's now Betfred, I think, in Piccadilly, Manchester, we had two branches in Manchester, a tiny one in Salford and the bigger branch in Piccadilly. Occasionally I was sent um, to do relief work at the little Salford branch when um, when, when they had people on holiday or, the, or people were sick. And so I would go down there, spend my working day there. There was a man there who had it in for me. He was slightly older than me certainly had more power. I was the junior and uh, it it seemed that he took delight in lording it over me and making me feel small and humiliated. I can still see the look of delight in his face when he discovered that I'd made a mistake and he could point it out to me. My day began in apprehension and often ended in humiliation. Most days were like that and it was like having my soul um, ravaged by someone with more power, power than me. You, some of you 
listening to this may may be going through that very experience as probably something like this was happening to David. And David speaks to God, he tells him what's going on. That's an interesting principle in biblical um, behaviour that um, you tell God what he already knows. It's important, it's uh, therapeutic, it's, uh, it's part of our relationship, it's what a child does to a father or mother. You tell, your mum can see that she's, you're hurting, you've hurt your knee, but you tell her anyway. And we're to do that with our trials. Um, and sometimes, especially for some reason in this day of, of the um, social media, um, people seem often to delight in expressing condemnation and criticism. Uh, we're, in, we're in something that's called cancel culture today. A few, uh, well, many, many months ago now, I, I went on a, a December evening to a, to a 70th birthday party where I met a, a man, a Christian man, a full-time Christian worker, who was a delightful man. I had not met him before. We were able to snatch a few moments of conversation. That was the Saturday night. As he as he was leaving that party, we, we had a, a brief conversation. And the next day, on the Sunday, his 14-year-old son um, took his own life. And it's ripped the family. It's it's ripped the family to the very depths, with the claws of, of grief and sorrow. And one of the factors that's emerged is he was being bullied on social media. People tore at his soul. Uh, he didn't have life experience to handle some of that. Uh, he felt he had to take refuge in death. Um, they tear me like a lion, ripping me apart with no one to rescue me. Well, of course, social media is a great blessing, but it's given claws to the heartless who take pleasure in ripping wounds in other people's souls. So David is in the midst of this uh, at the hands of a man called Cush a Benjamite, and uh, he says, I, I need a refuge. And it's great, isn't it, that the great king of Israel, one of the best soldiers who's ever lived, a mighty general, a man who commanded the SAS, um, as they called the the mighty men. They're described in one chapter in the in the Old Testament narratives. A man who, who conquered, um, who, who dealt with Goliath and the Philistines. Tremendous warrior, soldier, grifted musician. But he's he's ripped to pieces here by behaviour and the words of this man, this Cushite, it was not so friendly um, and not so friendly a rivalry. Second thing that comes out of the psalm is I, I need honesty. There's an interesting point here beginning in verse 3. Uh, David says, Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice on my hands, that's possibly what the kind of thing that um, that Cush has been saying, if I have done harm to one at peace with me, or have plundered my adversary without cause, that sounds a little bit like the kind of stuff that David is being accused of, that's hurt him so very deeply. Well, when, when times are hard and, and you are suffering at the hands of, um, of, of other people, it, it's right to call out to the Lord for refuge and for deliverance. That, that's a, an appropriate thing 
for God's wounded children to do. But And if the heading to this psalm is true, then David's been wounded by the words of this man. Sometimes people do speak words that wound you. As I've alluded to a moment ago, they condemn you, they cut you to the heart, they bully you, they intimidate you. God can be your refuge. You take refuge in the words of love and mercy. You take refuge in the fatherly kindness of a God who is entirely there to watch out for you, who will never leave you nor forsake you. There is a glorious being who has loved you from eternity past. He loves you now and he will love you into eternity future. You are secure in his love if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, uh, David's being honest before the Lord and he's basically saying, if I've been ungodly in my behaviour, if there's some truth in what this man's saying, then uh, give me a hard time. Show me um, the, some consequences from the stupidity of my behaviour. Humble me under your mighty arm. If I have done this, if I've done harm to one at peace with me, may an enemy pursue me and overtake me. May he trample me to the ground and leave my honour in the dust. Oh, David's being honest before the Lord. Sometimes we can be very quick, can't we, to spot the um, a splinter in the other person's eye and very slow to see the massive log that's sticking out of our own eye. Now, I find it difficult in times when condemnation and criticism come my way. I find it very difficult to ask if there are elements in truth to what this person is saying because I want to go into full full on self-protection and self-defense um, I just want to uh, to speak quickly and earnestly about my own faultlessness oh well, here is King David and Cush the Benjamite has used words to undermine David's rule perhaps attacked his integrity and his decisions is accusing him of being unjust and unfair in his rule. Now, it can't be easy to rule 12 tribes of different characters in different geographical locations, which was David's responsibility. It can't be easy. But David responds to the, um, the accusations of this enemy by asking the Lord to reveal if he's been unkind or unfair in his treatment of the man from the tribe of Benjamin. And I, as if David's being truthful here, and I'm pretty sure he is, then he's open to the possibility that if he's abused the power of his throne, then maybe it ought to be taken from him. Um, because we might not always be innocent. Our enemies might be cruel, and the people might be saying harsh things to us, but... You know, sometimes there's an element of truth in it. Um, and the Lord might be pleased to show us the plank in our own eye from time to time. I can remember times when I've been very critical of uh, somebody else for their behaviour and then I've discovered that um, there's something in me and in my behaviour that's just as bad, if not worse. And uh, it's important. Uh, I, want, I, want, I need honesty, Lord. I need a refuge. This is horrible. It's hurting me. Please come to my aid. Nobody else is coming to my aid, but will you come to my aid? But at the same time, show me if there's something that I need to see in my own behaviour. 
Many years ago, um, my colleague and I here at Chessington had a, a massive decision to make, a, a massive, a great proposal to put forward. It was a change of direction for the church. It was um, very important. It was quite quite difficult. We tried to communicate this thing, and then we put the matter to a vote, and it went against us. And there was a lot of hurt, and a lot of criticism was expressed to us, to me in particular got letters through my, pushed through my door on Sunday night at 10.30, which were quite damaging and brutal. Um, and I just wanted to go into full self-defence and self-protection. But I actually had to think about what these people had said, some of the criticisms that were made, and accept that there were some elements of truth. And so we actually modified uh, our approach to this whole subject. We... We modified it, we brought it back 18 months later in a, in a slightly different form. And uh, having listened to, to our people, having responded to them, and 18 months later the thing went much, much better. But we needed to listen to what the criticisms of what people were uttering. I need a refuge, I need honesty, and thirdly and finally... I, I need justice, verses 6 to 16. And now he's beginning to pray for something to happen. Rise up, Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my adversaries. Awake for me. You have ordained a judgment. Verse 9. Let the evil of the wicked come to an end. But establish the righteous. The one who examines the thoughts and emotions is a righteous God. If anyone does not repent, verse 12, he, he, God, will sharpen his sword. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapon. He tips his arrows with fire. One of the things that we are called to do in times of distress is to remember what the Lord has done for his people in the past David's actually using some of the words in this psalm that you can find in the words of Moses uh, in in the um, Pentateuch, uh, one of the first the first five books of the Bible. Uh, David and um, Moses prayed in this way from time to time, and David will remember that, and he's he remembers the times that God stretched out an arm of power and came to the rescue of his people and dealt with their enemies in in a, in a remarkably strong way well here he is um, and uh, David's bruised he's battered um, because of the behavior and words of other people like Cush they've accused him of wrongdoing probably at the abuse of power he does feel like he's being treated unfairly never felt like that uh, there's dreadful injustice in what's happening he feels so he asks the Lord to arise and come to his protection. He prays the same prayer that Moses prayed on another occasion when he led the Jews out of Egypt to the promised land. May the God who came to the help of Moses in judgment come to my help and deal with this situation. Essentially what he's asserting here, what he's asking for, is that God will judge in perfect wisdom, verses 8 to 11. Um, God will judge in perfect wisdom. 
God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. God is a righteous judge. So often in matters of right and wrong, um, it's quite confusing. No one is perfectly right and no one is perfectly wrong, usually on, on each side of a human argument or dispute. So it, more often than not, we have to trust in the perfect wisdom of an all-knowing judge who can read the hearts as well as observe the behaviour of people. Um, it may be a situation where I say all around me is confusion and, and lack of clarity, so I'm going to hide behind the shield of God's perfect wisdom and the judgments that will flow from that. I'm going to... Um, in the midst of all this confusing right and wrong difficulties and, and uh, problems and heartaches, I'm going to lean as, with all, the, all my weight, I'm going to lean upon the wisdom of a God who judges righteously. Because I can't sort it out. But I believe he will. He can and he will. He might do it soon, he might do it on the final day of judgment. But God will judge in perfect wisdom. David takes refuge in that. Then God will arrange righteous consequences. If anyone does not repent, he will sharpen his bow. He has strung his bow. He will sharpen his sword, sorry. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. Verse 16 he sees that the, the evil person, trouble comes back on his own head. His own violence comes down on top of his head. Every day there are news reports, are they not what it seems like every day, um, of grieving families who are in anguish because some perpetrator has caused the death of a loved one. Um, he gets out of jail in a few years' time for good behaviour while that lovely little seven-year-old daughter will never see the light of day and uh, it seems so wretchedly unfair the parents are sentenced to a lifetime of heartache and sorrow whereas this man who's taken this little girl and murdered her maybe abused her um, is sentenced to 15 years and he's going to get out in a few years time for good behavior where's the justice in that one of my church members years ago was a widow in her 50s. Her husband had died, quite a young man in some respects in his 50s, and he left her. He was a man careful with his money. He he left her with some good savings and some good income. Um, she didn't know quite what to do with the money she had, so she employed her. She asked her for the advice of a, of a Christian, independent financial advisor. And he... He defrauded her of all the money. He, he used it for himself. And then when he came out of prison, he was saying, well, I've paid my debt to society. Uh, everything is all right now. She was left for the rest of her life to the consequences of his perfidy, for his iniquity. It seemed so unjust. She was sweet and lovely. I raged internally when she told me her story. Where is justice to be found? Where are the proper consequences for the behaviour of the man 
or the, the lads in the car who dragged the body of a, of a newly married policeman to his death, dragging it along the floor for a mile. Where's they? And then they smirk and laugh when the trial's going ahead. And they're sentenced to a few years in prison. Where's the, where's the justice in that? Well, David takes refuge in the belief that God will work it all out in the end. Maybe at the end. The just consequences will come at the right time. Sometimes it pleases the Lord God to cause the consequences of bad behaviour to come fairly swiftly. As it says here, this man dug a pit, hollowed it out and then fell into the hole he'd made. Consequences of his folly were, were pretty quick to come. But sometimes it doesn't happen quite so quickly. The punishment will perfectly fit the crime. Maybe not in this year or this lifetime, but in the um, amazing counsels of the living God on the day of judgment. He will do what's right. God has bent and readied his bow and sharpened his sword. He has done that. And there are times when we are called upon to just trust that, when we're internally frustrated, we're raging, it doesn't seem fair, they got away with it. We have to um, trust that, um, that, that God will judge in perfect wisdom and God will arrange righteous consequences. Well, that's nearly finished now, but let me just bring it back to us for a minute. Um, David does sing at the end. I will thank the Lord for his righteousness. I will sing about the name of the Lord Most High, verse 17. He's put his faith in the justice of God, in the perfect wisdom of God. And uh, because of that, he's able at the end of this psalm to sing of, of the Lord's faithfulness. And his righteousness. So what about us? Which of us does not deserve to feel the sharp edge of the sword of God's judgment? Which of us has not robbed God of his glory? We have um, worshipped created things. We put our trust in money rather than him. In power. In popularity. In personal, in personal well-being. Um, we have been idolatrous in our hearts. We've lied. We've been gluttonous. We've been covetous. We've been greedy. We've we, we've thought bad things. We've treated people in a bad way. Uh, sometimes our minds have been a cesspit of um, iniquity. And we deserve judgment. Which of us, thinking about this psalm this morning, does not deserve to be cast into the outer darkness all of sin and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death well where is our hope in the day of justice as Charles Wesley put it in one of his hymns tis just the sentence should take place tis just but all thy son hath died a gospel 
is this. This is gospel is our only refuge in in the light of the fact that God is a just God and he punishes sin as it deserves and he punishes our sin as it deserves. But the gospel is this. Perfect justice has already been done, has already taken place at the cross on my behalf. If I will but trust in Jesus, a willing substitute has gone up to the cross and has received in himself the full fury of the wrath of God against the sins of those who will trust in Christ. The sword of judgment pierced his soul. The darkness of hell descended upon the spirit and soul of the Son of God. He was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that we deserve was laid upon him. Justice has been done. Righteousness has been perfectly satisfied. God has done the right thing. He's punished sin as it deserves. And uh, he's punished it in the person of Christ. And so when he forgives us and lets us go free and adopts us as his children, it may seem unjust, but it's justice has been done. And we have been pardoned and God has, God's honour has been vindicated and all has been done right. Um, let me let me just go through that hymn of Charles Wesley. It's one of my favourites. We don't sing it much anymore. Guilty, guilty, I stand before thy face. On me I feel thy wrath abide. Tis just, the sentence should take place. Tis just, but all thy son hath died. Jesus, the Lamb of God, hath bled. He bore our sins upon the tree. Beneath our curse, he bowed his head. Tis finished. He hath died for me. For me, I now believe he died. Can you say that? For me, I now believe he died. He made my every crime his own. He made my every crime his own. Fully for me he satisfied. Father, well pleased, behold thy son. And that's why in the face of the judgment of God we can sing. Because the judgment that should have fallen on us has fallen on Christ. And we are forgiven. And we are free. And all will be well. Let's take refuge in that.